everybody, welcome. And thank you for listening to this episode of Marriage Therapy Radio. My name is Zach. I'm here with Laura. You know, one of one of our goals for the podcast is to have you listen to us talk about whatever we're talking about and go, huh, I don't think I've ever really thought about it like that before. I hope that happens to you today. Today, I get to introduce you to one of my nearest and dearest friends. His name is Matt Kane. I've known Matt for almost 30 years. Uh, he's one of my favorite people on the planet. He's also my financial advisor. He won't tell you this, but I don't mind telling you. If you're in the market for a financial advisor, I cannot recommend Matt enough. Uh, but you don't need to take my words for it. I want you to listen to us talk today about money and how it works, particularly how it works with relationships and uh, and what it can mean for you and your family, how to change the conversation. How do they go, huh, I've never really thought about it like that before, because that's our goal for the podcast. This is a very cool conversation. Stick around. Matt actually is the holder of two of my two stories that I tell on the podcast all the time. Um, but you've always been anonymous. Do you want to know what they are? Please. I do. I want to know. Yeah, what these full disclosure. Are. I signed yeah. the uh, I signed the document to release all uh, personal dignity. Well, so <laughs> you guys, you guys are in an unfortunate category in that you only have sons. Like, and I think boys are the worst. Like, uh, Laura has one son. Holden. Matt has five boys. Oh, you're so lucky! A full basketball team. Yes. Um, Rad yes. and Coach Matt. But this is one of my favorite yes. stories. He goes to the doctor. They go to the doctor to find out <laughs> if they're you know having a baby or whatever. And the doctor's like, yep, you're having a baby. You conceived on, you know, January 12th or something like that. And Matt's like, no, we, we, we only got married on the 18th. And the doctor was like, well, you can conceive before you get married, you know? And Matt was like, mm, we couldn't. So the doctor was like, great. January 18th is your conception date, which means like straight up the honeymoon baby. You got married. Yeah. A honeymoon baby. And so, hold uh, on. reception baby actually is what we prefer to call it. Reception baby. So my my mind, Matt, went to that you were so naive that you were having intercourse before you were married, but you didn't actually realize that like yeah. the good Lord would bless you with a baby, even if you were not officially married. So that's where my mind went. Yeah. But is You're that, exactly where the ultrasound tech went. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, we yeah. had a bit of the, the, the story is better, Zach. The, the argument that ensued in front of Kim while she has her, you know, belly out lubed up for a, you know, ultrasound. It's probably smaller than that. And, and I'm <laughs> disputing. I'm disputing. It, it was. It was it was petite. And uh, I'm disputing, you know, sort of my moral commitments in front of an ultrasound tech. Mm -hmm. so. And they're like, nope, that doesn't happen. That's uh, a yeah. mm -hmm. no, the date is the date. This is how big it is. And this is what the measurement says. So this is when it happened. And that was the last glass of champagne your wife ever had. Who's on the reception, huh? It's true. It's Bummer. true. Bummer. OK, five kiddos. Good for you. Do you have any? And yeah. you have zero daughters. We just got a daughter-in-law this summer, oh, so I'm, I'm now officially compromised emotionally because How every time I you? see her. You look very young. You look like I'm you 65. Could, I'm 65. That's yeah. amazing. Your hair <laughs> product you. is phenomenal. Really yeah, keeping yeah. it brown. There's this Grecian formula. I take it orally every day and it's, it's been great. Um, <laughs> no, I'm 52. Okay. 52. Uh, I'm right. just a little older than that. Yeah. 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 So, um, the other story is the reason that we had Matt on. Matt is uh, Matt will not tell you this, but I don't mind telling you. Matt's my financial advisor, in addition to being my very good friend. But I learned from Matt about the Monte Carlo number. So this is my, uh, my oh yeah. Tell me about. By the way, I like just for fun. I like to call my uh, money guy my wealth manager because yeah. it makes me feel better. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. What did I say? Very financial advisor. 
Yeah. I'll go with the wealth yeah. manager. That's very bougie of you, yeah. Laura. Thank to you. call him your wealth uh, advisor. Yeah. yeah. That's nice. Yeah. Um, what is the Monte Carlo effect? Well, uh, the Monte Carlo number, this, this is how I understand it. Matt, you can correct me again if it's a better story than what I think. But when we sat down with our, like, so Rebecca and I, we have, we've not made a lot of money in our lives. Like we were, we spent um, maybe 30 years trying to figure out how to spend less than we make, which is rule number one, by the way. Like when you're talking about trying to manage your, your finances. Mm. Um, My husband would disagree. <laughs> he would say, solve it with the top, yeah. top line, just make more money. Got it. Um, yeah. So, but we finally sat down and we said, Hey, here's, here's our whole situation. Here's what we're doing. Um, and Matt and his team were like, well, what do you want to do? And I was like, I don't know. We want to retire at whatever we said, 65, 70 years old. We want to have $2 million in the bank. What, I don't even remember what it was, but he said, okay, looking at your, looking at your current situation, um, you have about a 30% chance of getting there. Like if you change nothing, you okay. got about a 30 chance of retiring at $70, 70 years old with $2 million in the bank. That's your Monte Carlo number. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Oh, so some people are like, they, they think that's great. 30%. I can roll with 30%. Most people want like 80, 90%. I want an 80, 90% chance right. of getting right. where I want to go. Certainty. So they said, if you want an 80 to 90% chance of getting this the place where you're going to go, you got to change these behaviors. You got to go in this direction. You got to do this instead of mm -hmm. what you're currently mm -hmm. doing. And so yeah. we started to kind of figure out how to do that. And I guess every year you sort of reevaluate and get a new number or whatever, but I've been fascinated yeah. by this concept in general because you know, in my office and I don't know, probably for you and Matt, maybe even in your office, you have a couple that comes in, they want to talk about their money and maybe his money, Carla number, he's comfortable with 70. He's like, I'm good. 70%. I feel pretty good about 70%, but she wants 90. She wants mm -hmm. like a 90% assurance that, that, so that means that they have to negotiate behavior between 70 and 90. Anyway, um, I tell that story a lot, tell it to clients, tell it, I told it on here, but Matt has made, Matt's been most helpful in making, helping me think about money. And I thought, Hey man, why don't you come talk to us? And just like, we have lots of questions and you have lots of thoughts. And, um, mm -hmm. so here we are, we're just all hanging out. Almost like we were at, yeah. the, at a wedding together and just kind of like, yeah, <laughs> you know. uh -huh. we all sat at the same table. Would it hurt your feelings, Zach, if you heard my memory that you had a score of zero <laughs> probability of making it? <laughs> that was your memory? <laughs> Is that TMI? Is it's that quite, TMI? it's quite likely that I had a zero probability of whatever goal I had. Cause we had yeah. no, we had no plan. We had no plan. With no plan. Right. And then, um, mm -hmm. right. And now we have a plan, which is really nice. And, um, yeah. Anyway. Zeros change behavior. That's what we found with probability. That's what Monte Carlo is. It's a, it's a probability analysis that allows a, a, an individual or a couple or even an endowment to make a different decision about how they've been behaving financially. So, Zach, you had a zero yeah. and you changed the zero yeah. because you changed your behavior. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a healthy zero. Wow. This is very timely, Zach, because I have been texting you uh, yep. recently where I'm like, hey, uh, just so you know, I need money. <clears throat> um, I need money. I need to make money. I need money. And I'm right. like, I'm trying to like sell them Girl Scout cookies, lemon, yeah. lemonade, doesn't matter. But uh, Matt, just recently, so my husband um, ended his, his, the company that he was working for, uh, he, the company sold. So he ended that trajectory and he did very well last year and decided to sign on with a startup, which basically means no salary with a right. hope of, you know, maybe sometime it growing. So anyway, he's making 18% of what he made last year. Super mm. fun. So yeah. that means that we have completely flopped roles and it happened. It ha needs to happen almost immediately. But we went in and we talked to our wealth manager <laughs> 
Right. <clears throat> and our number was 70%. That's not bad, right? Yeah. That's a great number that could lull you to sleep potentially, but that's a good number. Yeah. So 70 is not going to change your behavior, Laura. No, Lara. It's not. <laughs> no, but um, it's funny because we were actually just talking on before about now what I'm needing to do is I need to stop the reactionary buying, which is what I enjoy doing. And so I'm needing to think more uh, reasonably. I don't know how to describe that, but just like stop the buying piece. And I need to sell some Girl Scout cookies and some lemonade to make up for that difference. That mm-hmm. Yeah. That 72%, 82% gap. I'm pretty high, like lately, like maybe three or four weeks in a row, I'm in this like theme where I want to just rethink everything. We did an episode a couple, I guess it was just this last week about rethinking date night. And then last night we were rethinking the other, the other day, whatever, we did rethinking the other. But so kind of today I want to just set up like, what if we just rethink money? And Matt, I'd be interested for you to just kind of riff for a minute about how you think about it on behalf yeah. particularly of your clients, but couples, because mm-hmm. we have a bunch of people who will say the number one thing we fight about is money, but they're not really fighting about money. They're fighting about something else. And I, I would love for you just to, I don't know, give us a download of who you are and how you operate in the money world. And then we can still make inside jokes as we go through the podcast. Sure. Sure. <laughs> and we'll, we'll try to leave enough time to get practical because the high level conversation about money can feel like we're, you know, lighting a cigar, sitting around a fireplace, telling our stories about money. And and I love doing that with folks. But one of the things that might disrupt any of our thoughts about financial capital is that we think it's dangerous. Hmm. So money is fundamentally relational, right? We know that it's, it's not an inert object. It's not like a piece of cotton candy sitting on the table. Money is absolutely dynamic. It has an influence on our lives. Even when we don't want it to, it does. Mm -hmm. In marriage, obviously, as you guys know better than I do, marriage is you, you reap, the, reap the whirlwind if you ignore the influence that financial decisions have on your relationship. This is true of your kids. It's true of your friendships. It's true of your extended family. Um, and so I'm convinced that one of the things that we do for client families and my friendships and, and it, even with my children, I own five sons, it sounds odd to say it but we protect people from their money. Hmm. We actually think that an abundance of money and outright poverty have a lot in common with each other. Hmm. So if you think about money and the distribution of wealth globally, there are two ends of the standard deviation. You didn't think we were going to talk about math today, but we already covered Monte Carlo Hmm. analysis. So (laughs) the two extremes of a standard deviation are that there is a population of people that absolutely have no access to clean water. They certainly don't have any access to financial capital. And there's, there's a billion of those people. Plus there's also a population at the other end of the extreme that have a massive amount of money that we might look at and say, you have nothing in common with that other side Mm -hmm. of the population. And Having had a full taste of both of those populations in my lifetime, uh, having been in the population of folks who knew as a 12-year-old what government surplus cheese was. Yeah, um, I'm right there with you. Stood in line for you? it. Oh, yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. 
Yeah. We, my sister and I thought it was fun to raid the food pantry at our church. Oh, absolutely. Did you ever steal the communion bread? Cause I was right up there after all those. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That was me. Wow. Times are tough. (laughs) Times Times are are tough. tough. Yeah. Wow. Um, so for, for my wife, Kim and I, we both have these stories that are really, really different about how we grew up with money. But the point I'm making is that abundance does not create immediate contentment. Mm -hmm. I mean, have we not seen this in Mm -hmm. popular culture? Have we not seen it in professional athletes? Have we seen it in our own families, right? Zach, you've experienced what it means to go from a zero on a Monte Carlo score, or as you say, a 30. (laughs) And then experience I might be at a 30 now. (laughs) You might be back to a 30. (laughs) I might be up to a 30. 30. Um, So I'm convinced that both of those extremes can be really treacherous for, in particular, for marriages mm-hmm. and for the children that we have. And frankly, for the little wiener dog that you have, <laughs> money can be, um, it can be treacherous. And so there are a number of financial behaviors that we look at as a team. And uh, I think any thoughtful advisor, whether you're a tax accountant, whether you're an estate attorney, whether you're involved with a family because you're, you're a trained clinician, uh, or you're a bougie wealth advisor. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm convinced that if you don't acknowledge the challenges that abundance brings, mm-hmm. then you're likely just to placate the needs of individuals. And then don't be surprised two, three years later when abundance runs rampant. Um, why that there's why there's conflict, why there's discord, why there's complexity. Mm-hmm. Um, I think abundance brings a massive amount of complexity. Um, Zach, you and I have worked through that a ton together. Mm -hmm. What does it mean to work through the complex issues of wealth? And you don't need $100 million to feel the complexity. And then include your spouse in that conversation and your eyes glaze over. You'd rather go get a root canal together. (laughs) So that's, that's my riff on why money is in particular a treacherous thing. We just think, and and Laura, I think you said it, your approach, your husband's approach, perhaps, is hey, let's just put more revenue in the top of the funnel. Totally. And if we do that, we can buy as much dog food as we want. <laughs> and, and I think that there's more to the story than simply abundance. Yeah. Have you been dying to try out a weekend workshop or maybe even couples therapy, but the timing or the cost has never really worked out for you? I hear you. And that's why I'm offering the seven principles for making marriage work workshop as an eight-week series meeting weekly on Wednesday evenings from 6 to 7.15 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. For many of you, this is a great time after the house is quiet and you can steal away a little time for your relationship without babysitters or traffic or even the high cost of therapy. This is a virtual eight-week series where you meet with me and a cohort of your peers to learn how to deepen your friendship, enhance intimacy, develop tools for conflict management, and finally get on the same page with your values, goals, and vision for the future. This eight-week series is offered each season. The spring series begins on April 12th through May 31st. Register early to take advantage of the early bird discount. Check out marriagetherapyradio.com for registration information. After I gave birth to my son, I noticed that my hair had significantly thinned, especially around my temples and face. Well, I read that this could happen, so I didn't stress out too much about it. Except for it didn't grow back, and it didn't fill in. 
So I bought all of the thickening shampoos. I tried all the hair extensions. I even learned the art of the Texas teas. That's why I couldn't be more grateful for Nutrafol, the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement, clinically shown to improve your hair growth, thickness, and visible scalp coverage. In a clinical study, 86% of women reported improved hair growth in six months. Well, I'm sharing this information with you ladies because I know that I am not alone. Millions of women experience stages of hair loss or thinning, whether you be postpartum, menopausal, or just plain stressed out like me. You can grow thicker, healthier hair and support our show by going to Nutrafol.com and entering the promo code MTR to save $15 off of your first month's subscription. This is their best offer anywhere and it's only available to U.S. customers for a limited time. Plus free shipping on every order. Get $15 off at Nutrafol.com. It's spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com. Promo code MTR. So what do you do? You just mentioned like behaviors, which makes me really intrigued. Like what are these behaviors that you're, you're looking out for and how do you address that with, with couples? Cause I'm imagining a couple sitting in your office and you're talking through these behaviors and they're just like pointing fingers at each other. Like yep. no better way to start a fight than talk about money behaviors. Yeah. And, and, and there have been the, the, the room I'm sitting in here is one of our, our spaces to be with clients and it has, on a few occasions, thankfully, the minority of conversations have included me having to get up and give a couple time to be by themselves, Wow! which is my polite way of saying, you guys have some things to work out. Let me go ahead and give you guys mm. some space. I got to go make some copies. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go check on the, you know, the furnace. Um, in, in our case, and in, in my experience, both in the nonprofit world and the for-profit world that I'm in now, I think most couples, when you, when they get, to meeting with someone on their team, whether it is that advisor, whether it's that accountant or an estate attorney, if they got that far, by and large, they're looking to be constructive. Mm-hmm. And so what we've what we've learned over time, and, and Zach, I think you've learned this with Rebecca, I think there's some work to be done before we get in the gym and try to use all of the free weights and all the Nautilus equipment about spending and giving and saving and investing. Those items need to be addressed, but I'm convinced, and and really, frankly, I've seen far more successful advisors in all sorts of shapes and sizes move to the why and the who of money. So we bumped into it in the first 60 seconds of our conversation. What is our story? I often ask uh, young people, I'll say, if, if, if money was a person, in your family, tell me what person it would be. Mm, and we personify that. money. We actually say, oh, money is my drunk uncle Larry. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's that's what money looks like to me. Or, or, or money is my my abusive father mm. that I don't talk anymore. I don't talk to anymore because I have this approach of avoidance with money. Um, there are really clear influences on all those behaviors that if you don't uncover them, name them, document them even for some and say, here's some of the good things that we're going to keep. And here are some of the foundational values and character traits that I want to include that I don't currently have Mm -hmm. and get what we would call just alignment. Mm -hmm. Are, 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 Are the two of you, you and your husband, Laura, are you in alignment on what the money's for? 
Mm-hmm. Are you in alignment on the role money's supposed to play? Have you even had that conversation for 10 minutes? Mm-hmm. And unfortunately for us in the West, I think there are foundational beliefs about money that get smuggled into who we are without our permission. The same could be said of our identities. Mm-hmm. The same could be true of what, how we view gender and sexuality and politics, you name it. I'm, I'm convinced that if we don't uncover where we are aligned, or maybe perhaps more importantly, where we are honestly not aligned, mm-hmm. then we're in big trouble. And, and, and to just talk about it in terms of behaviors, I think is just simply changing the, the, the paint color on the wall. Mm-hmm. One thing I've been thinking about with, with people is this idea of where, where we are not aligned and how, how tempting it is for that to be a place of conflict, but it really is just a place of information. It's just a place of data. Like, Oh, wow. You think about it like this. I think about it like that. Neither one of us is right or wrong. We're just have more information now. Um, mm-hmm. right. So, right. Yeah. Early on in our marriage, Kim and I would have, would have been a very clear stereotype of pointing the finger across the table and saying, she would say to me very fairly, she'd say, because you didn't have money as a kid, and now that you have some measure of financial capital, you are the spender in our family, and I'm the saver. Yep. And we take up these roles out of a position of conflict, almost like in the first inning of play in our marriage in our 20s. And for us, you know, we had, we had five children in 10 years, so we barely knew where our checkbook was, much less mm-hmm. balance that, mm-hmm. that checking account. But uh, we took up roles. I was the spender and Kim was there to hold me back from that. And mm-hmm. and there's nothing wrong with spending. There's nothing wrong with being frugal and self-controlled. But when we align ourselves as enemies in a marriage because of a particular behavior and a particular stereotype, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, you know, in my, in my opinion, those marriages miss out on what we think the promised land is, which are... You know, I use words like contentment and significance with with the people I work with. And when they hear those words for the first time, often I get laughter or silence because they Mm. think that that promised land doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm convinced that it exists. I think contentment with money, regardless of whether you're a millionaire or you live in a one bedroom studio apartment on the poverty line, I'm convinced that contentment is possible. And I'll even go so far to say that I think even wealth is possible without an abundance of capital, which gets back to sort of our definition of money. Sure. You think you're wealthy, Laura. Right. Like, are you wealthy? If I asked you that in the first 30 seconds of this conversation, you might tell me no. Right. That's, and, yes, I would say no. <laughs> right. Right. And I, and I might say, well, hold on a second. Mm-hmm. Perhaps somebody smuggled the definition of wealth and significance into your life somehow, some way. Right. And um, I might suggest to you that wealth is far more achievable mm. than your balance sheet might tell you. Mm-hmm. So. This is a little side note, but I remember I had a, <laughs> I used the word uh, successful and, and mm. I was kind of like trying to lean on financial success basically. And I'm chatting with a buddy of mine and we're painting this garage. And I said, so out of all eight of your siblings, 
who would you say is most successful? And he said, oh, I would say probably my sister. And I said, what does she do for a living? And he goes, oh, she doesn't work. Um, she's a really lovely husband and they have four children and that. And so his definition of successful kind of blew my mind. And I had to take a step back. I was like, that is not at all what I asked, but that is how he interpreted it. Um, and so when you say wealthy, I know we're talking about money, but my brain also goes to the contentment piece of mm -hmm. what does it take to be content? And if you are content, then are you not wealthy in spirit and joy and satisfaction and relationship? Mm -hmm. A little mm -hmm. broader. Well, it's such a weird tension because <clears throat> money is, I, I always say money is one of the hardest things in a marriage because it's one of the very few things in a marriage that you can actually measure. Mm -hmm. You can actually, you can't measure intimacy or connection or communication. I mean, you can try, but like you can actually look at your bank account and go, oh, worse than it was last month or last year or whatever. And so it creates this really awkward, uh, you know, tension or, or, or moment in a marriage that doesn't exist anywhere else. And I just, and that's where I think it's, we need people who can kind of help you rethink it and re mm -hmm. kind of re, you know, redefine what wealth is, what success is, even what, yeah, you know, I've, a buddy, a buddy of mine. Sorry, Laura. Yeah. Just on this idea of quantifying money in a relationship, it's because money is one of those unique storehouses of power. Mm. Let's be honest with each other. Like, yeah. if I if I showed you how much money I had as a twenty two year old, or I showed you how much money I had now, those are just different ones and zeros. But there's an immediate effect when we're vulnerable about our money that has actual influence. It's, it's potent, not just in the marriage, but, but certainly at, at the center of the marriage is this really distinct awareness mm -hmm. for an individual that happens to be in a relationship where if, especially if one is, is of incredible means and the other is of no means, which would have been my story. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Kim, Kim grew up in a very normal household with, in Connecticut. Um, with, yeah. you know, all, all the things that I thought my wife I wanted. grew up in a normal household in Connecticut too. Yeah. Yeah. I, was, I threw in the Connecticut for <laughs> yeah. you because I know how much you miss your home, your homestead. Well, there. But, Rebecca um, grew up in Connecticut in Greenwich, like in an incredible amount of wealth. And I grew up kind of like right. you in Southwest Virginia in a, you know, <laughs> sort of, um, yeah. uh, my family, I've said it a million times, declared bankruptcy when I was school. So we came together almost in the exact same. Well, we came together yeah. from totally different sides of the wealth equation or the, the, the math equation, but both of us were completely ignorant about how money worked because her parents right. didn't involve her and my parents didn't have any. So we just, mm -hmm. we were making it all up, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that brings me that you said involve, and mm. I have been thinking about the dynamic of my husband works with our, our money guy probably once a week he's on the phone with him. And wow. I have no idea what the heck's going on. I have and to schedule I'm, Matt like six months in advance. Like he's <laughs> it's not, just true. not true. Well, I mean, to <laughs> be fair, true. well, actually, I mean, this guy's yeah. Anyway, although Matt, I, 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 Matt, sorry, I want to hear your story, Laura. This is, this mm -hmm. is the, Matt <laughs> sure is very do. responsive. He's very responsive. Um, sometimes I'll ask him a question on over text and he's like, mm -mm, can't do that. The sec says yeah. we're not allowed to talk. And I was That's like, right. all right, fine. Can't leave voicemails <laughs> about making any kind of changes to your account. Right. You all right. Gotta talk so on the phone. Ryan's yeah. on the phone with your guy once a week. Go ahead. 
Well, my, I'm curious about how much do you, when you notice that there's a partnership and shared accounts, do you encourage that the other partner be aware and know what's going on? Because there, you were talking about power. I was thinking about the power differential in our household. Uh, husband's making the majority of money, at least he used to now mama's coming in, bringing home the bacon. But, uh, I mean, I'm just wondering about that dynamic of do you encourage both partners to be equally yoked when it comes to the financial decisions? Yeah, I would encourage it and I warn against the sort of command and control of financial affairs being in some room in the house, metaphorically speaking, that you don't get to go in. Yeah. That would be ridiculous from an architectural perspective. Laura, you can come in every room in the house, but this room over here, this is where our money is. But trust me, this room is is too dark or too light or too complicated for you. Mm-hmm. I'll take care of it. And anytime you need money, just knock. Mm-hmm. Um, I, unfortunately, you know, mortality for, for the two males on this call are, are very clearly, if you look at actuarial tables, yeah. 70% of all wealth after the age of 65 is held by women. So not just for command and control for the two of you to be in alignment and have some hope of financial contentment, uh, so you don't strangle each other and end your marriage over money. Um, but also ultimately, Laura, you are going to be in charge of your financial affairs Mm -hmm. and wouldn't it be nice while you still had all your faculties, Mm -hmm. um, wouldn't it be nice to at least get an introduction, maybe even like a quarterly, you know, review where you actually participate. Mm -hmm. And I'd say, I'm not going to call it a non-negotiable for us because the client at the end of the day gets to dictate who's involved in the conversation. Right. Uh, you know, no surprise, actual collaborative command and control of where money goes and how it's gifted and how it's spent and how it's invested and how it's saved. The families that actually do that together, oddly enough, have less conflict. Mm-hmm. Things are less confusing. There's actual clarity about saying, oh, I just gave a gift to this. Honey, did I mention that, that that I gave X number of dollars to this particular request? What mm-hmm. a terrible moment, mm-hmm. right? And so when when folks ask ask for a gift, or you know, there's a spending need that's more than a thousand dollars, Kim and I have a conversation. Yeah. Whether it's a it's a new door, or it's a you know, it's a gift to a an institution of higher learning. Why would you ever do that alone? Mm-hmm. I, I'm just convinced it's bad business for the family. I'm smiling because I have been to a few galas recently where it's paddle races. And if you want to see couples get into like (laughs) rage, it's after you get a couple drinks in each other. Exactly. (laughs) Put your paddle down. Can I have that? Start sitting on your partner's paddle. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, it's funny that you say gift because I'm sitting here going gift. Who's got time for gifts? Who's got money for gifts? Yeah. I I understand there's purposes. My husband's helped to... help me to understand there's reasons why we gift tax breaks, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, yeah, yeah. well, also cause it's nice. <laughs> yeah. But it's a nice thing to do. Are, Laura. <laughs> when you come from, you know, a scarcity mindset, you don't give anything away. You yeah. Hoard yeah, yeah. Like nobody's business. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the real mystery of it all that I just keep having to be reminded of. And as much as I might be an advocate for other families. I need to be an advocate for my home on this principle of generosity. Mm-hmm. I, I think it was uh, Cicero. This would be the first time on your podcast somebody <laughs> quotes Cicero, but he said that 
that gratitude is the mother of all virtue. And I've often said that gra- that generosity is its firstborn son. And um, I think the sort of upside down world of what wealth looks like, as we were talking about earlier, we've tried to teach our five boys that, that it is quite literally a law of financial gravity that to be generous is actually more fun mm-hmm. than to get. Mm-hmm. And we've included them in giving. We've included them in serving. We've included them in those sorts of behaviors. And the most healthy families I think of, some of whom are so well healed financially, would make you blush. Their number one financial behavior, when we when we get alignment, we start we start actually ordering those behaviors of saving and investing and giving and mm-hmm. and, and spending. The families that put generosity first, by and large, hmm. are the most aligned families I've worked with in two decades. Yeah. It, that it's makes just, sense. just over and over again, the families who put spending and consumption first, again, not that consumption's wrong, but when they make spending the prime, primary lens through which they see the use of money. Mm-hmm. That's where the the vast majority of conflict comes because we all have different thoughts about what spending ought to be. It becomes a competition of sorts between the spouses and the children and this sort of large brokerage of of self-interest. I'm old-fashioned that way. What types of questions could our listeners ask each other, conversations that they could go through in order to feel as if they're hitting all of the values to begin to align? Yeah, I think there's two places and we alluded to one of them already, and it's that of our stories. If you have not ever actually told your story of how you related to money as a kid, mm-hmm. no matter how boring your normal you think it might be, it is formative. Mm-hmm. And it's formative in your marriage, even if you say it's not. Mm-hmm. It is. It just, it's ubiquitous. Mm-hmm. Our experience with money, again, I'm I'm positing that money is relational, um, then we need to know the sort of relationship you've had with money growing up. When you're coming into a new marriage, if you're in a marriage that's been been around for a few decades like ours, if you haven't ever told that story, tell the story. Second thing, you've got to actually get your values on paper. Mm -hmm. Values are not preferences. Values are more than that. Values are an expression of intent. Like, how do I actually want to spend money? Hmm. Say it, even if it's a little embarrassing, even if you said one of my values, one of my values is that we would live in a really large home. That's because one of my really key values is I want my family to host a lot. So hospitality is a value for our family. And I've seen people spend massive amounts of money on hospitality. I've also seen people spend a lot of money on very large homes and vacation homes. And then they realize their family doesn't value hospitality and they certainly don't value being together. And there are these large empty homes Mm -hmm. because you never took a second to say, what are we actually going to put in the home? Right. Maybe you just need an apartment. And what you really want to do is buy a large boat because you want to be on the water. It's a bit ridiculous of an illustration, but I'm I'm convinced that values well-documented lead to behaviors that are aligned. Yeah. Aligned behaviors actually lead to some of that land of contentment and significance that seem mythical to us, especially if you're in a moment of conflict. Yeah. 
that's where I see a lot of conflict come up is it's not about the money. It's not about the amount. It's about right. the way in which you spent the money in it misaligning with what your partner sees. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I spent, you know, we were talking about Tesla's, right? Like, so I, I went out and I got a Tesla and you're like, I don't care about Tesla's. <laughs> like I've been wanting this knee replacement for years and it's about <laughs> health for me. And it's not about the, the Tesla or the environment or whatever. And so the, it's the misalignment of values that we're spending our money on that really caused the conflict. Yep. Mm. Yep. And, and then the final, I guess there's a third sort of practical layer of this that, that most people want to start with. And that is there has to be uh, transparent, clear command and control over the dollars. Mm-hmm. You don't need to have a PhD in finance. Okay. Uh, Zach, I think you've modeled that. Mm-hmm. You do not have a <laughs> do not. No, not at all. Uh, but what Zach has done with me personally is he said, Matt, I want to learn. And I think we should say that to our spouses. I think we should say to the person who knows more about where all the dollars are hidden, Mm -hmm. where all the dollars are spent, where all the dollars are saved and invested. I think there should be a growing appetite to say there is a time, there is a place when we sit down and we talk about what's going on with our money. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because the worst, some of the sort of atom bombs that go off in marriages are poor financial decisions that become non-negotiable influences over a family, meaning there, there comes destruction. And you as the spouse are sitting there saying, how do we get in this situation? I didn't even know we were in debt. Mm. Right. I didn't even know we had debt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember credit card bills in my 20s that I tried to not show to Kim because I was embarrassed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so there was no room in our, in our 20-something brand new marriage to talk about debt. Because it wasn't a place where I wanted to be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When, so there has to be a place for that. I did say that I want to learn what I, and I'll go back to my Catholic roots. What I really want to do is repent. Like I have mm. this story that feels dark and misdirected, particularly around scarcity. Rebecca also has one around sort of wealth and entitlement. And we both are in a need to change that, change the, change the thinking around that so that I can pass it on to my kids, pass on to my kids, something other than this. I mean, I think that's a big piece of it. And it's, and, and that for me is very rarely about math. That's very rarely about the balance sheet. It's much more about, and my kids, this is interesting too. I don't know, Matt, if you, if you have this experience, my kids have kind of developed up through sort of scarcity to the surplus. Like they can remember when we kind of wait, we, we're doing, we can't do this. We can't do that. Like, why can't I? And what, what are we And the coupons? And the, like, they can remember that. And now they're like, hold on a second. Like I'm allowed to go skiing and it's okay if I go to school and I, I rent my own apartment. Like it's sort of, so it's a weird, it's a weird thing to try to be training up. And I think these categories are really helpful because they definitely have a story. And I just want to, I want to influence it for, for good more than for ill. When you told me that story, Zach, you used a word, I hope you don't mind me using it now on the air, but you used mm-hmm. a word that, that caught my attention. I don't hear it often. And that was shame. Mm. Mm-hmm. You remember that conversation yeah, totally. that's easily within the last 24 months. Yeah. We said, Hey, there's this place. And, and I, the reason it caught my attention, I said, Oh yeah, I've struggled with that. Yeah. I still struggle with that where I say my story, my childhood, I'm ashamed of it. Mm. Like there are elements that are so embarrassing when I think about what we had to do as kids. My sister and I in particular, we talk about it all the time. And after we laugh a little bit, uh, the laughter goes away and there's a fair amount of shame there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think part of the storytelling 
And this, this can be a place of real intimacy in a relationship, no matter how old that relationship is, where we're honest about those places where we're most ashamed, almost just practically speaking, we're embarrassed. Yeah. Here are decisions that I made, really poor decisions that I made financially, either as a spouse, as a business owner, as an employee. Um, I don't like talking about the fact that I got fired 17 years ago. Yeah. But it's amazing when I've been vulnerable about that with some friends, and Zach knows that story, um, it leads to actual friendship. It actually leads to, to deeper ground. Mm-hmm. Well, and it also, shame breeds in the dark when you keep mm-hmm. it to yourself. And so it's a gift, not only to your relationship with your friends when you're vulnerable, but it's also a gift to yourself that you're bringing that shame out and, and putting some light on it so that yeah. it doesn't continue to grow. Yeah. 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 Oh man. As you're talking about like childhood shame, I'm sitting here and I'm like, I feel myself kind of sinking (laughs) and going into like my eight year old self, you know, and just like the memories that come up of the shame around not having money. And for the first time realizing that I don't have any money, like I was shameless until about eight years old when I started to recognize my place in this world and the power that was associated with money. And that's when I had my first experience of, Oh, you don't have what everybody else has. Mm -hmm. And that, that piece was really powerful. And we tell this, I tell this story, um, in our workshop, the Zach and I, this is a plug, right? We're getting ready to do a workshop. It will have already, we we would have already done it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we have another one in June, but I, tell the story of what it was like for me to experience that shame. And, um, it's while processing conflict and the piece is that in order for us to process the conflict, he has to know my story so that he can develop some empathy and understanding. So, yeah. uh, good segue. <laughs> have you ever, have you ever seen the book? A good friend of mine named Andy Crouch has come and spoken to our clients many times. And one of his books is on the concept of strong and weak. It's actually the title of the book. Mm-mm. And he takes these two concepts that seem like they're locked in conflict with each other Mm -hmm. to be strong and to be weak. And he puts them very simply, but beautifully on a two by two grid, like an X and a Y axis. And he puts strength and power. I love influence on the Y axis. (laughs) Oh, it's so fun. I was like, you are speaking Zach's language. Yeah. I'm speaking his love language. Actually, (laughs) Um, two by two grid. So this grid of strength and weakness, I've co-opted that into my thinking about money there's a plug for Andy Crouch's book, uh, Strong and Weak. But this two-by-two two grid, think of it for a second, and you just referenced it, Laura. Mm. When you're vulnerable, you're out to the right on the X, x-axis. The weak side, right? The weak side. Yeah. If you want to actually move up into the right, which is the quadrant we would call, that he calls flourishing, I would call it contentment, especially as it relates to money. Yeah. You can actually have power without an abundance of money. Mm-hmm. And for us, it's been alignment, clarity, control. When you go vertical on the why and you go to the right on vulnerability and you actually get brave enough to talk about your story and mm-hmm. not just like the public version, but like the really dicey, embarrassing version that yeah. we wouldn't want to talk about on a podcast. That's when you move up into the right. Those are the people, and I and, and I'll, I will admit, those are the people in the minority of humans that I've run into mm-hmm. who are living lives of significance, contentment, and clarity as it relates to financial affairs. But it has a lot to do with vulnerability, 
and has a lot to do with generosity because I think generosity, particularly financial generosity, is an act of vulnerability. You're essentially just saying, 100%. I'm going to give away my money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. Right. I just, you know, there's a there's a well-known foundation in our in our building here in uh, Philadelphia. Uh, Sir John Templeton founded it. It's the Templeton mm. Foundation. What an inc- incredible naming convention. But um, <laughs> he sold the Templeton Mutual Fund family in, in the 90s for, I don't know, several billion dollars. He gave away a cool, even billion dollars. Wow. Do we have any idea what that decision must have felt like? Irrevocable, gone, not yours anymore. It will be given in perpetuity to someone other than you and your children and your grandchildren, and your great grandchildren. Mm-hmm. And maybe the abundance of it we can't relate to, but the principle is true nonetheless. I, I think it just that vulnerability out and to the right, mm-hmm. when there's an increased understanding of power and control and clarity about money, moves you into flourishing. Mm. Um, okay. Wow. We could do this forever, but we all have hard stops. You, um, you're in Pennsylvania and can, can we, how do we find you? How does, how do people like decide that they want to, do you want people, do you want people clients? to work with you? Do you want marriage? I'm an introvert by trade. I think Lori <laughs> should know this about me. Me I'm too. A total introvert. Yep. Yeah. Ditto. Zach's supposed to call BS on that, by the way. Zach, please call BS on that. I was, no, I, I, I think, you, you know, <laughs> we've got, we've got clients around the planet and actually, um, the folks that we have international are some of the folks with the least amount of means that mm. we've just decided as a part of our mission statement as a firm to help people manage money, even if they have no money to manage, at least in the, in the, from, a, from a really big picture perspective. So we have a footprint that's beyond just our region. Uh, we actually have clients in Seattle. Uh, we've got clients in LA. It's true. Other than <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Who asked for like bi-weekly visits <laughs> to his home. It's like, I'm going to fly out here and explain the spreadsheet I, to me. I know very, he's, very he's coming to my home next week. Yeah. He's very neat. So you can find us on the web at ionadv.com. That's Indigo Oscar Nancy, ADV.com. AVD? ADV, AppleDavidVictory.com. What does all that stand for? Uh, our name is actually Compass Ion Advisors, oh. and we took the ion and we put it with advisors. And Got it. Because I was tired of spelling I'm, the whole thing. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Well, yeah. I love talking to you, Matt. Every time I talk to you, one thing that uh, I love about Compass Ion is its compassion. And you are one of the most compassionate people I know, and I trust mm-hmm. you implicitly with my money. I hope people will check you out and learn about uh, what you've got going on and um yeah. Thanks for just coming and talking to us. Helping well, us me, rethink let money. me ask Matt before we let you go. So you gave us one book reference, strong and weak. Yes. yes. Um, do you have any other references or things that you're like, Hey, this YouTube yes. video dope, this person I, amazing. Yes. I, I'm going to actually make an app reference. Okay. Get techie. Yeah. Get techie? Sure. Let's do it. So a lot of folks have said to us, Oh, I can't hire the bougie financial advisor. How can <laughs> I get organized? How can I get clarity? Um, my favorite app and website to to pass, and it's free, 
is a supercharged tech engine called Mint.com. Yeah. M-I-N-T. Have you heard of it? Oh, I... Mm-hmm. Yeah. When we were in our... This is our second internship year <laughs> that I refer to <laughs> when my husband decided to go rogue and not have a W-2 and all that. Uh, yep. The first one, we were doubly poor. I was in grad school and I was like, we need to figure out what's going out the door. And we, we yes. got Mint.com. So now, now we're using Rocket Money. We've transitioned over, but yep. I've used both and very similar platforms. Yeah, yeah. And just to give it a great plug, it's mm-hmm. not just a budgeting software. So you're not just getting that root canal. Mm-hmm. The, the, the real helpful thing that I think a lot of people miss is what they owe and what they own. Mm. And that's really the makings of a net worth schedule. And most people, no matter how much money they have, they have no idea what their net worth is. Right. Mint can help you not just manage the X's and O's of cash flow. Right. They can also help you free of charge to do what's called aggregation, where you see here are my loans, Mm -hmm. here's all my assets, here's where they sit, and here's how they change week to week, month to month, quarter to quarter. Mm -hmm. Most people, and I mean including people who are worth $50 million, don't have clarity on where their money is. Right. I ask them where their money is. They don't know. Yeah. And we have to go on like a little, you know, Easter egg hunt to find all the money. <laughs> we just did that with my mom. <laughs> what a nightmare. Yeah. 65 hard. years of Easter egg hunting and hiding. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. So you said mint.com. Do you have another one? Uh, <laughs> do I have another I'm one? Pulling out all the resources. I do. And this one's a human recommendation. And again, I'm going to give the disclaimer that you don't need to be, quote unquote, uh, you know, have an abundance of financial capital to get this. Build yourself a team of people that give you advice that don't care whether or not you like them. Okay, I love it. You have to get people, tax accountants, estate attorneys, uh, financial advisors, insurance agents, You've got to start building as one of my business partners, Josh, he would say it all the time. He said, you've got to build your table. Mm-hmm. If you don't have a table, if you've never had a person give you financial advice, start finding people who can give you good advice. Okay. Cannot do this yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, or you should not do this yourself. Of course, I have a conflict of interest in saying that out loud. I think there's a lot of people who've been successful do-it-yourself investors I'm talking about something bigger than that. I, I'm recommending that don't be a do-it-yourself money person. Mm-hmm. Get people who've done this for a living and can help you avoid the mistakes that you're going to talk about uh, in the language of, of real disappointment and regret. And that that's just not needed. Brilliant. Thank you, Matt. It was nice <laughs> yeah, meeting you. Sure. I Thanks hope, for having me on. I hope we get to hang out at, at another point. Maybe Zach, maybe Zach, when you die, um, Matt and I will still be around. <laughs> at my and funeral. we'll yeah. see each other at your funeral. Yeah. That's right. Or if Matt ever comes I'll, and visits me, maybe you can just drive up and we can hang out. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to gas up the company minivan and, and drive on out. Right on. I'd love to see you guys. Yeah. Get it. Minivans are my favorite vehicle. <laughs> yeah. Laura, okay. nice to meet you. I'll be you virtually. <laughs> yeah. Take care. See you. All right. Well, let's land it. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Marriage Therapy Radio. That was Matt Kane, Kane, K-A-N-E. Matt gave us a few references. So first of all, you can find Matt Kane by going to Ion Advisor, ADB. So IonADB.com. But he gave us two awesome recommendations, mint.com. I've mentioned Rocket Money, who's been a sponsor of the podcast. 
very similar platforms. Um, I have tried both of them. I actually really appreciate both of them. And it oftentimes comes at a time when we're kind of grappling with our finances. So um, check those apps out. They're both free to you. And they also recommended a book. It's called Strong and Weak, and it is by Andy Crouch. Thanks so much for all of your time and attention, making your relationship better today than it was yesterday. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.